What's up, guys? This is Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Recently on the Winging It podcast, Vince Carter and Annie Finberg sat down with NBA All-Star Kyle Lowry and recording artist Rotimi. This week, 2017 first overall pick Markel Fultz joins the show to talk about living up to expectations and working his way back from injury in the NBA. Make sure to check out Winging It on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me on this Tuesday from the Ringer.com is Kevin O'Connor, aka Kevin O'Bomber, aka Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Conflict, Kevin O'Camera, Kevin O'Comeback. Kevin! Verno, it's so good to hear your voice, buddy. I'm so happy to be back. I am so glad that you are back. A big thanks to Jonathan Charks for filling in the last Thank couple you, of Charks. weeks. Um, you have obviously been very open and honest about everything you have been through over the last few weeks and said you were going to be on hiatus. And I know that, uh, the listeners have been overwhelmingly, uh, positive and helpful during this time that you've been going through. So I'll give you the floor, Kevin, and you can kind of talk to people about what the last couple of weeks have been like. I mean, first of all, just want to say, you know, thank you. To, to everybody for all the support this past year, ever since, you know, I, I first wrote the story about my dad's cancer diagnosis. It's meant the absolute world to, to me, to my mom, and of course to my dad. Um, you know, he passed on February 11th and, you know, we were going to record that morning. I was looking forward to recording the show and like 30 minutes before that, like he got worse and like, I was like, Oh, we, we can't. And he passed a couple hours after that. I was glad my mom and I were together. Um, when he did pass away and, and you know it's you know it's obviously hard most of all i i for me and, and for my mom we sort of are on the same page it just feels weird you know um like i feel the urge to tell him things i want to i want to talk to him about you know where's tom Brady gonna go <laughs> you right. know i want to talk to him about jason tatum turning into a star the the future here at the ringer and you know i you know i Last night I ate at my favorite restaurant. I'm in I'm in Los Angeles for the week, um, and I, I ate at my favorite restaurant, Spoon by H. And I found myself while there thinking to myself, like, geez, like he's not going to be able to to come out here and enjoy this food with me. And you know, all that stuff saddens me. But you know, the cancer diagnosis is out of our control. It's out of everybody's control when when something like that happens to, to themselves or to the, someone they love. And I feel like the past year we've you know we've made the most of our our good days together and uh i mean just quickly like i would say to like, anybody else who's going through something like this you know the last you know couple weeks from my dad weren't good especially the last couple days like he was he was suffering and you know the, the the one thing i didn't expect uh since he passed from my mom and i is like there's a, a sense of relief that's attached to the gr- to the grief and when you lose someone you 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 love that suffering and you know that that instills mixed feelings because you don't feel like that, you know, you should feel anything like relief when someone you love's gone, but um, it's okay to feel that way. You know, I, I think a lot of people do Absolutely. feel that way, even though you don't expect it. And um, yeah, the other, well, other thing I would say is that um, there was a couple months ago in November, I was in LA at the time and there was this one late night. I was home just chilling, laying in bed. And I was thinking to myself, you know, what if I only had 10 minutes to live? What would I say? Well, what would I do? And I was like, well, obviously I'd call my parents, you know, and I, and I sort of just put myself into a headspace. I set a timer on my phone for 10 minutes. This sounds all very silly. Um, but like I spoke aloud for 10 minutes until that buzzer went off, just pouring out every emotion, every thought, everything that I would say to my mom and dad. I was bawling my eyes out while doing it. But when that buzzer went off, I realized, you know, I've said all these things. I've said everything that I would want to say to my mom and dad, they know how much I love them through the things that I've said to the things that I've done. They can feel how much I love them. And that was a really good feeling in that moment that night. And I've sort of carried that with me since then. And, um, I guess I would just encourage people to be open and honest with the people you love, you know, love the people you love, because I think being vulnerable with them frees you from that burden of a, of a secret that you can have someday when they might be gone or something changes. 
Um, so that, yeah. that, that, that's been something that really has helped me through this was just the open and honesty with, with you guys, my friends, the listeners, with you, Chris, with you, Bobby, um, with you who listen to the show and with my friends, you know, I, that's really helped a lot. And, you know, again, I just thank you. You, you guys have, have helped make this past year, despite all the bad, you know, have some pretty special moments. So thank you. Yeah. I had talked to you, um, off the air about what had gone through and it's for anybody that hasn't been through it what you say uh, about, you know, the way it goes the last couple of weeks, it, it's one of those experiences that once you have it, it, it changes everything. I, I, I've told you my best friend when we were in our young 30s was diagnosed and then I ended up having him. He ended up taking a lot of experimentals and then he, he passed away. Um, it came back like a wave and he passed away in 2011. And he when I went for the last time to see him, one of my other friends had called me and said, go see him. I couldn't see him that way. Right. And there's this, you are so grief stricken, but then there is this moment where you cannot take this, right. It's never turning around. It's never getting better. And now seeing this person in this state and suffering, you just want them to go and be at peace rather yeah. than to watch them suffer. Yep. And of course, I, I, you know, I remember speaking at his funeral and saying that exact thing. It's the only thing that saved me, honestly, in that time was that by the time he, he, he had passed away, I knew he was in such agony. I mean, I, I saw it. I witnessed it. I was on the bed with him yep. while, while it was going on. And you, you cannot take that. And so maybe it's a, it's the way the world works. And hey, look, man, I'll just say this on behalf of all the listeners. And I tweeted this after it all went down. Um, you took what was a, a terrible thing and you turned it into a positive, whether it was the dunk for cancer, uh, dunks for cancer, or whether it was just in this world that we live in and so much negativity and so many, especially on social media, seeing the outpouring of positive and this moment that you realize there are so many more good people than there are bad people. And sometimes we get drowned out and we think that, oh my goodness, can you believe people are like this? But in general, people are not what we, that, that, that what the worst of us is. And I saw that because I was tagged on so much that and uh, during what you went through. And so I just, you know, I it, it had a profound impact on me watching watching people and how good hearted people are and how caring they were about you. Because in the end, we, we host a podcast, Kev. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like these people aren't, you know, but I, I sense that so many people truly cared about your plight and your father and your mother and what was going on that it, I don't know, man, it, 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 it gives you a lot of faith in humanity. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the big things that I, I've, I've felt this past year is, you know, you mentioned the love from, from the listeners from the readers, from the, the viewers and all that. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it's sort of shows, you know, if you're open and honest and kind to people, generally people will be, you know, open and honest and, and kind back to you. I mean, I think about, like there's two big memories that pop into my mind, you know, the dunk on cancer event in Toronto after the show was over, like all the people that lined up afterwards, partially to meet me, but also partially just to share their own stories. You know, people, you know, talking about, you know, their experiences with cancer or someone that, that they love lost or something that they weren't personally went through um, or just how, like how it made them want to be like a better son or daughter or like they hope to be like a good caring dad like my dad was to me and that that was like a really powerful night for me when that happened. And then just this one other time when I was walking to the Staples Center while FaceTiming with my parents and and someone recognized me and, and was like, hey, hey, can I get a photo? And we took a selfie together and I said, hey, I'm FaceTiming with my parents. And he turned to the camera and he like he was like, you know, Papa see or something like that. I'm rooting for you, man. I'm rooting for you. Wow. And, and like I was like, oh, my God, like this this person, like we're strangers. But we're yeah. friends, you know, and and I think that's the type of connection that that I mean, you and I can both feel in our own ways, and that's that's a really good feeling, and and it just, I mean, I say we're, we're strangers, but we're friends, and ultimately, um, we're still strangers at the end of the day, you know, and I I think it it's important to if you're if you were kind to me this past year, I would just encourage you to be equally kind to another stranger because you know everybody is going through something or has gone through something or will go through something someday. And, you know, you, you don't know 
what someone has been through. Um, so I think you might as well just be kind to people from the jump. And um, I think I think we saw a lot of good this past year, and overall, um, there can be more good by 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 being that way moving forward too. I agree with you completely, but I am going to compartmentalize that for this podcast because I am not so sure that I am going to be kind to you, Kevin. <laughs> it has been a long time. Yeah. There has been a lot of basketball that has been played. I'm so excited you, to talk you, to you. You, you <laughs> tested our friendship and my will when you posted James Harden running from the three-point line all the way to the basket and called it not a travel. And I know, <laughs> I, tested, I know, I, tested I know. a lot of people that day. I know. I, look, <laughs> to, the, the, the gather step can go to hell as far as I'm concerned. But we have had a <laughs> bunch of stuff that has gone on that we need to get to. Uh, not the least of which is we get to do this show after what was an incredibly strange night in the NBA. You have all of these things uh, that took place uh, in the last 24 hours. The first of which is a, a real rarity, which is the Bucks losing. Um, that has not happened often this year, and they are facing off with one of the teams that it is a certain possibility that they could end up in the playoffs against each other. They play the Heat. The Heat really handle them last night and deliver them their ninth loss of the season. So the poor Bucks dropped to 52 and nine on the year, <laughs> still nine and a half games up of the second place uh, Toronto Raptors. Uh, but the Heat, who had struggled post trade deadline, you know, uh, put together some pretty good efforts recently. The Dallas game over the weekend, and then obviously this this is the most impressive, beating the Bucks in the manner that they did last night. Uh, it seems like they're starting to kind of come together after some struggles getting everybody now into the lineup that they traded for. Well, Bam Adebayo made Giannis Antetokounmpo look like the guy James Harden thinks Giannis is. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Seven-footer with no skill can just run and dunk. That, let, me, let, that, let, me, let me do this. Let me do this real quick. We do need to say a caveat, that, and I've mentioned this many times over the years. Road games in... Many sometimes Toronto, they the players love Toronto, but Miami is like number one on the list, and then probably LA of the the teams go there, and the next night when they play, they look nothing like themselves. I do not want to discredit Miami at all in this, but when something so wildly out of character takes place, I think it is fair for me to reason that the Miami Knights might have. Had a uh, <laughs> maybe may played a part in maybe this. maybe, but we don't know that we weren't in the club, we weren't at the no. bar, you know. No, maybe we, they we, maybe they all went to bed at ten a.m. We, we, we weren't we weren't in their DMs, <laughs> but <laughs> maybe, but maybe, but we maybe did. They all got a good night's sleep. Yeah, but we did see the game, and Bam Adebayo showed why he was an all star, why he is one of the game's best young players. Because last night, in in the three and a half minutes, he defended Giannis, held him to two of eleven shooting on those possessions. And when he was defending Brooke Lopez over the five minutes he was against him, he was a significantly important help defender in containing Giannis on drives. And this is what Bam has been doing all season long for Miami. He's a guy who can defend on the perimeter. He's a guy who can defend on the interior. He's a smart help defender, and he constantly busts his ass. And for the Milwaukee Bucks, of course, Giannis is the leader, the leading candidate to be most valuable player in the NBA. In the NBA, of course, you still feel great about your odds of going to the finals and winning the finals with Giannis as your best player and Chris Middleton, who is weirdly underrated nationally as your second best player. Of course, you still feel good about that. You're fifty-two and nine. You're fifty-two and nine. However, when you have a defender like Bam Adebayo, you don't need to help off as much on containing Giannis drives. And that means you can stay home on shooters. You can play one-on-one. And it's just an intriguing thing to keep in mind with the way in which Miami defended Giannis. Just something to keep in mind in your back pocket for the playoffs when there comes a time maybe this matchup might occur. And I'm not so sure. And this is, you know, this is the way sometimes it works out. We will see how the standings look at the end of the season. Um and Philadelphia's clearly got to hold the fort until they get uh, Embiid. And then who knows on the Simmons thing. When anything is left uh, indefinitely, 
uh, an indefinite amount of time. You, who knows? Um, I'm not so sure that if that ended up being the four or five, which it looked like could very well be the case for, for a long time, Indiana has crept up there now. But if it is Miami and Philadelphia, I'm not so sure that the Bucks oddly do not have a harder time in that second round matchup than they even would in a third round matchup, assuming it was the Celtics and the, and the Raptors are two and three. Like, just because of what those teams bring to the table, Miami and Philadelphia, if we say they're healthy, I'm not so sure that the Bucks' second round, and that would be, that I think at best, that thing goes six, seven games for sure. And those two teams oddly might be better equipped to play with the Bucks and give them all hell than than Toronto and Boston. Do you agree with that? Sure. Yeah, you know, and I, I think this touches on, you know, you look at Milwaukee, you look at their their net rating, what they're outscoring teams by, you look at their record 52 and 9, they're still on pace for 70 wins. Like this is outrageous. I mean, what a season they're having. But it's it's different in the postseason. And I don't think there's such an overwhelming favorite that we should be talking about them at and we're not. I don't think anybody should be talking about them as this overwhelming favorite in the East that's gonna just trounce every opponent on their way, or as a surefire bet to make the finals, because each is each of these other top teams in the Eastern Conference can match up with them in some way or perhaps just rise to a level that they just have a better series. They just have a better seven games or six games or however many it takes. That's that. There's a possibility of that against this Bucks team, and I would go as far to say that I wouldn't. I wouldn't even consider them like this. They don't remind me of like even some of these LeBron-led teams when they're the four seed, and you're like, oh, they still have LeBron. <laughs> they're still going to go to the finals. Like, like there's not that feeling, despite Giannis maybe being MVP this year. I still don't feel okay. Can we get to this? What? Can we get to this right off the bat? What the whole Giannis thing about okay. for, for MVP? Yes. Okay. Because what has happened over the course since since the Lakers played on national TV against the Pelicans, it became this LeBron James should be in the MVP conversation and it was hitting all the debate shows yesterday yep. and it came up and this is inevitably what takes place every time we have somebody that it, it becomes boring that he's been the guy the whole time, right? And so that it's just been understood that this guy is going to win it and so what happens is people then want to throw other names. Well, what about this, right? Allow me just a moment, Kevin, to say this has got to stop, all right, on the whole trying to get <laughs> LeBron in the mix oh, and boy. all these other names in the mix. You can say whatever you want about PER, but that if you look at individual seasons that players have had, it has been a fantastic measure to understand what are the best seasons of all time. It, the list goes like this in the top 10. Wilt Chamberlain, Wilt Chamberlain, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Wilt Chamberlain, LeBron James, Steph Curry in 15-16, which we would all admit was one of the most unbelievable seasons we've seen, also and Michael Jordan. Ah. Yeah, and, what year and for Michael Jordan? Jordan? I'm curious. Oh, well, no, no, no. I'm saying these are all, I'm listing them from two through 10. Okay. Those are the top 10. The only one I didn't name was number one. The greatest season that has ever been played by anyone in PER is Giannis Antetokounmpo this year with 32.28. He only plays 30 minutes. If he played 36 minutes, these are his per 36 numbers. 35 points, 16 rebounds, 7 assists, a steal, a block, 56% field goal percentage. All right? That's what, if he, if you were playing 36 minutes, like some other guys play 36 or 37 minutes, and it's certainly not unreasonable. In addition to that, his team is 52-9 and nine and putting together one of the greatest seasons in NBA history. So he is having one of the greatest individual offensive seasons ever on one of the greatest teams that we have seen. Meanwhile, he, as you said, he might be underrated. The second best player on that team is Chris Middleton. All right. LeBron James's second best player on his team is also coincidentally when you look at career PER, Michael Jordan is number one. LeBron James is number two. Number three 
is Anthony Davis. All right, that's who's on that team. And so I know we are trying to wedge in to make for good conversation slash discussion, but Giannis Antetokounmpo's season right now is literally historic. And so I ain't hearing it. This is this is clown stuff going on. <laughs> trying to try. I mean, this guy is about. He's having the, like one of the greatest seasons ever, and is doing it in thirty minutes a game. And his team is fifty-two and nine. Like I know we want to like just not have the 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 clear favorite run off on it without having debate. But I don't. This is goofy. I I I, I got to put an end to this, Kev. Well, I just want to continue it for for one moment. Just one moment. <laughs> I I would vote for Giannis to win MVP if the season ended today, and I'll in all likelihood vote for him at the end of the season in April. I just want to make that clear. However, <laughs> I also don't think it's worth you know you know saying LeBron is not even close. I think it is a worthy discussion when there's still a lot of time left in the season to at least think there's an, a chance that he could win it because LeBron himself is also having an unbelievable season with the Lakers. He's averaging over 25 points and 10 assists with a true shooting percentage over 57. That's only been done by only two other players in NBA history. Oscar Robertson did it twice. James Harden did it in the 2016-17 season. And obviously the Lakers as well. They outscore teams by 11 points per 100 possessions. When LeBron is on the floor, they get outscored by two points per 100 possessions when LeBron is off the floor, according to Cleaning the Glass, one of the greatest differentials in the league. LeBron is critical to their success. He is their most valuable player, by far more valuable than Anthony Davis. I'm sorry. And will he win MVP over Giannis? No, probably not. Should he win MVP over Giannis? No, probably not. But also, I don't think just because Giannis is having an all-time great historic season that it isn't also worth recognizing that, you know what, LeBron does belong in that discussion. Because of what he's doing as a playmaker, having a career high in assists, carrying the ball and handling the ball more than he more than he ever has before, playing point guard for that team, and also playing great defense, not defensive player of the year level like Giannis, which is another reason why he should probably win most valuable player when it's all said and done. But LeBron's playing better defense than he has in many years. And that's one of the reasons why the Lakers also have one of the top overall team defenses and why they consistently play as hard as they do. So will LeBron MV win MVP? Probably not, but he should be in the discussion at the least. All right. Um, as a distant second at best, that's what I would tell you. <laughs> and and look, I know, I know the way this goes. They played on national TV on Sunday night, so things become discussion points. And so they made LeBron the MVP and they make and they want to wedge Zion into rookie of the year, even though he's going to play 20 something games. Um, instead of oh, because you must, you must it, love that, huh? Well, because it's been a <laughs> foregone conclusion that Giannis is going to be the MVP and John Morant is going to be the rookie mm-hmm. of the year. And so we need to make things interesting and get the discussions going. And so those teams play on Sunday night. And by Monday, those are both big discussion points Definitely. where it's like, hey, actually, the reason that these guys were running away with those awards are good reasons. They are having historic seasons themselves. Both of them. I mean, I just told you if he played 36 minutes, the guy's averaging 35 and 16 crazy. and seven assists. I mean, these are these are ridiculous numbers. Ridiculous. And, and I'm sure like some people would bring up the counter argument. Well, you know, minute should be part of it. He doesn't have to play as much. Well, he doesn't have to play as much because they're blowing out teams by so much that they he can rest in more fourth everybody. quarters. And one other thing I just want to add, you mentioned PER, and I'm sure there's some listeners like, ah, PER sucks. It's old. And that, you know, Sure, think whatever you want. It's it still, you know, has some value value at the least. But Basketball Reference did just release their brand new version of Box Plus Minus, which is a similar stat to that. And Giannis has, according to this statistic, the ninth best Box Plus Minus of all time, uh, behind LeBron, Jordan, Curry, uh, David Robinson, um, and LeBron James. Again, yeah, um, people people can poke holes in statistics. It, what you cannot poke a hole in is that uh, that particular list is a tremendous representation of the greatest offensive yes, seasons it, it, we've it, ever it's, seen. It's a it's a quality guideline. 
It is not a yes. definitive list of like, this is the second best season ever. This is right. the 15th best season ever. And like, you can poke holes even the new box plus minus. It clearly heavy values, you know, high usage seasons, such as Russell Westbrook in 2016 17 has the 12th best box plus minus season ever, among others that stand out on that list. Um, but it's at least a guideline of some of the greatest seasons that we've ever seen. Yeah. Um, let's get to other stuff that took place last night. Houston, after being mega impressive in Boston, goes and loses to the Knicks <laughs> on, on the same day that the, the, the Leon Rose era is going to begin. And then I didn't, I didn't know about this going on. I, I, no lie. I, in, the, in the break room uh, next to my studio, I was filling up a water right before we were about to record this podcast. Spike Lee was on the TV <laughs> on first take yelling about how for 28 years he's gone in the same door and then James Dolan wanted to come talk to him at the game. And I'm like, like they just had their best win of the season. Leon Rose is taking over. They send out this letter to the fans yesterday and I, I the TV's on. And again, I didn't even know about this. Somehow they got like terrible PR with their biggest fan on TV bitching about James Dolan in the Knicks. And I'm like, these, these people can't get anything right. This is unreal. Like, this should be a great day, right? Like, oh, Leon Rose, and they're going to hire a new coach, and they're going to do this, and they're going to do that, and maybe he can get some free agents. And they just beat the Rockets last night, and, and R.J. Barrett looked great and has looked a lot better uh, recently. And then their most prominent, famous fan is on TV talking about some kerfuffle he had last night. And I'm like, and they sent out a press release about it. Like, what the hell is going on? A press release about Spike Lee. He's That's all I heard. So again, I'm not well-versed on this. It happened right before we came in. But he was like, oh, well, what they said, who, Max who, Kellerman was who, like, who's, they, who's the other guy they hired? Steve Stout, isn't he? Shouldn't he be yeah. handling this? He said, he said, he said, what they said in the press release was that, uh, you know, you everything was okay and that there was a problem with the door that you went in and he was like I went in the same door for 28 years you know and I'm like what is happening yeah. <laughs> what? my my favorite <laughs> I mean my Charles Oakley <laughs> Spike Lee like they they just make everyone mad my uh I so I learned of this from a quote that uh Stefan Bondi from the New York Daily News tweeted out <laughs> it's, it's just simply Spike Lee Quote, I'm being harassed by James Dolan. I don't know why. <laughs> and I read that. I was like, huh? What happened last night? <laughs> what? Oh, here we go. Here we go. Uh, TMZ. Spike Lee explodes on Nick security. <laughs> you want to arrest me like Charles Oakley? Oh, my, oh God. my God. Dude, I love it. I love it. And this it. is when Spike they Lee. beat the Rockets last night. I, I, it should have been their best night. I love how this is the first day of the, the Leon Rose, uh, Steve <laughs> Stout era in, in New York. That it's a, a Spike Lee controversy. Is this not how? the most Knicks possible thing? It really ever? is. <laughs> especially, especially the morning after a freaking win over one of the hottest teams in the NBA. <laughs> Probably the hottest team who is coming off an impressive over overtime win at Boston and it was an exciting game they win 125-123 and their rookie RJ Barrett is is like unbelievable in the Dude. game has 27-5 and 5 RJ looks like the guy that you hope that he can be in his prime that's what he looks like and yes RJ has had some very poor performances this season, particularly from the perimeter and from the free throw line, shooting 32% from three, shooting 59% from the free throw line. However, long term, RJ still with his size and his handling ability does have the upside to be a three level scorer, a guy who can get to the rim and draw fouls for you, a guy who can make plays for mid range. And a guy who can shoot at an at least at least an above average level from the perimeter. Will we see more of this from RJ in the future? I damn well hope so, which is why I had him ranked, you know, second in the NBA draft and why I still am high on him as a prospect. But also, it is it, it is a bit interesting how it happened against Houston, a team that doesn't play without size. And RJ is a guy that has had some trouble finishing against size in the interior. So it's worth keeping in mind that keeping in mind when it comes to uh, contextualizing this game for RJ. But at the least, this is one of a handful of very encouraging performances for the Knicks rookie. 
Well, and I will also say this, that going into the draft, um, I, 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 I warn people like I, like I like Morant over Barrett, but I'm not going to get in the business of tearing down RJ Barrett. Cause I think he's an outstanding prospect myself. Um, and, and, and I know you were very high on the kid and I will say this to his credit. This has not been the rookie season that he would have wanted. Um, but of the three, and this is because you can get lucky in the draft. There's no question. Zion went to a much better environment. John Morant went to a much better environment. And I mean, he's been in the middle. He's been in the eye of the storm, a catastrophe, a team that was ill-fated from the start that was put together poorly, that fired its coach, you know, in in the middle of a season that got rid of its leadership and is now going to take over and inevitably will flip that entire roster over. I mean, look, anything that he did this year can be considered a positive. And, you know, they may they may have ruined, I was thinking about this last night, they may have ruined Kevin Knox. You know, I mean, I, I, I talked about this with Charks while you were while you were away, Kev. But basketball teams, in so many cases, are like schools. And if I I, I can take two kids that are uh, uh, of equal promise, and I can put one of them in a horrible school and one of them in an amazing school, and 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 watch the difference between the way that they are able to learn and the way that it affects them even going forward, and he was put in a terrible school, right? This is a this is a kid with all kinds of promise that was put into a very bad situation. So here's just hoping he comes out of it. And and sometimes there are guys that are you know not gr- good enough players and they're in bad environment. And then we foolhardily blame the environment. In this case, I think it is totally fair to say R.J. Barrett would have had a much greater season if he would have been put in the environments that some other rookies were put in. Um, and you see that's, him that's come big. along last night. Yeah, that, that's big, right? You know, the, the way situation and opportunity and environment play a role in, in success. And that's true for anybody in life, you know, really, no matter sure. what, what you do. And this for, is chaos, what he's been a part of. Yes, you know, and, and sometimes you see the glimmers from these players in bad situations. We saw a positive glimmer from my guy. Frank Nilakina in the final yeah. possession playing some lockdown defense on Russell Westbrook with less than five seconds to go. And Russell Westbrook is also another example of a guy that we are seeing how a system is impacting him. He is playing somewhat differently than he has in Oklahoma City. He's not shooting a heck of a lot more threes. In fact, he's shooting fewer threes than he has since his fourth season in the league. But he is shooting more at the rim more than he ever has, according to clearly you know, the glass data. Do and you that, know this? He has, since since January, since January. Now think about this. This is a point guard. Since January, he's averaging twenty points per game in the paint. It's crazy. It's it's the number one in the NBA. I mean, it ain't like he's seven foot tall. That's always who leads the league in points in the paint. It's never, it's never a point guard. This is crazy stuff and, that's and, happening. And why is that? That that's because Houston's playing with a five out offense, and Westbrook is able to drive with nobody in the paint. It's so much different than what he's ever, ever experienced before in Oklahoma City. And like, granted, he had great chemistry with a center like Steven Adams over the years. And that is something that has been a part of the reason why he had some success within that system. You know, or whether it was in the early days of OKC playing with someone like Kendrick Perkins or Nick Collison. Like, he's had some quality centers that have been screening for him over the years and helping help turning him into a devastating pick-and-roll attacker. However, he has never been a very efficient scorer. And one of the reasons why is because the lack of spacing, never mind the fact that he's also been a, a average or worse shooter. But now in Houston, that weakness as a shooter is minimized because he is able to really just focus on attacking and getting to the paint, despite the fact he's a point guard. As you said, he's putting up center-esque numbers because of his ability to get there with space. And he, to me, you look at this season of all the guys that changed teams last summer, he's the best example of how system and situation can impact a player regardless of your age, regardless of what you've been through in your career, the success or failures you've had. Look at Russell Westbrook. Just look at him and what he's done in Houston and then imagine players in other situations that might be best for best for them. Think about Westbrook. 
Well, and I also, I'm not going to hold this loss, uh, and I'm not going to make anything of them losing to the Knicks. I mean, truth be told, and I see this all the time, and R.J. Barrett was able to come through. Like you said, Neil Keelan was able to come through. Like, these... A lot of times you will see throughout the season these uh, the the very good teams they play against the teams that aren't so good and they coast through it and then they're going to turn it up when they have to and then they're going to win and then every once in a while the team that they're going to turn it up against and go ahead and okay now we're going to put you away that team comes through. I mean I saw it all the ha- first half of the season I would see teams dicking around get to the fourth quarter and like all right it's time to turn up. But what they didn't account for was that John Morant was going to be like in the top three or four in the NBA in fourth quarter scoring. Like he just won the games by himself, you know, because you're not counting on that. Like he matched that. And so when it was time for them to turn up, you needed a couple of buckets and he went and and, and got them. Um, the same is true with New York last night. I mean, they make enough plays down the stretch. Uh, to go ahead and take care of business because you saw that fourth quarter. What are they? They're down ten going into the fourth quarter, and then you saw Houston ratchet it up. They end up winning the fourth quarter by eight points, but they fall two points short. I'm sure they thought they could just put New York away. And when you get to game sixty of the season, stuff like this happens. That, that, so I, one thing I, I don't, I, I don't take, I don't, I don't take away from. Houston at all for for dropping this game. One thing it, it happens. One thing you said that just you know we didn't get to talk about because I, I was you know taking the break. Um, you mentioned the fourth quarter and outscoring them by by eight points. It just made me think of the All Star game with the Elam ending. Uh, I I just have to say I love that. I love that so much. And I do too. And I tweeted it that night. But I, I hope and this is you know Zach Lowe and Adrian Wojnarowski reported that they could put this in you know maybe the G League or, you know, in, in other formats, they could talk about putting them, putting it in the, you know, the tournament or something like that. That That's what I want. I mean, I, I think this is a really cool thing. And I, I, summer league. I mean, might yeah, as well summer, try summer it league. Summer, yeah, exactly. summer league. You know, you know? Summer league's good because I have, I, I don't know how many people know this because, and I don't know if they do it in Vegas. I can't remember, but in Orlando, you remember, and they didn't even have that summer league anymore, but they used to at the Orlando summer league. Um, if you like, if you ended the game and it was tied, it, no lie, they would uh, go to the midcourt and they would throw a jump ball, and it was sudden death. Kevin, first bucket wins. <laughs> That's the way they ended those games. And so it's not like anybody cares enough about summer league, right? You might as well try it and see how it goes. Or, or even, I mean, so like this is the way I look at it, right? I'm not sure the NBA will ever have fourth quarters end in this way, but what if you had overtime end that way? You know, like what if regular season or even postseason overtime? First to 10. Yeah, First like, to 10. like how dope would that be, man? Oh, that would be It'd cool. be freaking now, you know fun. What? That's, you know, they do this, obviously, in hockey. They have changed the way overtime goes, and you can get a – Right, and I don't know if you'd want to change it to the scoring like that. Basically, like you get a point. I mean, I, if I'm, you go I'm to in overtime. Favor. I'm in favor for that. Yeah, no, a but then they, they they have the play it out, but then they also have the shootouts. You know, at mm-hmm. the end, so it's almost like it, it would be likened to a shootout. The same way I line up five guys and I, sh- I shoot five shots, you shoot five shots. Like if we just said overtime, you played a ten. First one to ten wins. I don't hate that. We may have come up with something. No, I mean, I, I think. I think that is something that they, at the least... You'd never have a double overtime game, though. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I mean, you you lose that, like you do lose like some of those historic triple, you know, overtime but thrillers. Every overtime is exciting. Yes, you guarantee that. You guarantee guarantee, uh, guarantee every overtime is exciting, and sometimes it's not. <laughs> it's, I mean, like I, I, <laughs> I mean, uh, not not every overtime. I think you know you can watch the basketball right. tournament and see like it is generally more exciting towards the end of the games. Um, but there'd be kinks to work out. And like, we'll, we'll have this discussion another day. Um, I'm but, with you on the Elam yeah, ending though. I it, love it. It was fun. It, it was fun in the basketball tournament, which happens every summer. Uh, and it was fun during the all-star game. Uh, so maybe it's just fun. And maybe we should do more of it. We were talking about environments and about guys and, and especially rookies and kind of what they go into. Another one who I actually saw in person on opening night and I thought he was fantastic and maybe headed to a much better season than some would have expected, and that is Kobe White. And then the season has gone badly. 
until this last like two weeks where he has just gone all the way the hell off. And last night I'm watching the game and he had some mishaps there at the end. He also had huge shots at the end before the Bulls at the very end are up by like nine and, and are vomiting all over themselves trying to give the ball, uh, give the game away to uh, the Mavericks. But this Kobe White has really turned up recently, had been getting 30 points on a regular. Last night he ends up with 19, 6, and 5, and he's got the ball in his hands at crunch time. And and, and let me ask you this, Kev, because on the flip side, um, this Dallas team, look, they started out on the season 21 and 10. Okay? That was their first 31 games. Since that point, because they have played 62 games now, if I say they're 21 and 10, and right now they're 37 and 25, that means they are 16 and 15 since December 28. And so that's it's a pretty big sample size. And I know they've been without Luka for some of that time, Porzingis for some of that time, but they've been about a 500 basketball team for a while now. And I'm not sure that everyone has noticed, even though they have fallen down in the standings. What what do we make of Dallas? Because that is that's a depressing loss to go lose to the Bulls last night. What was that date you said the the record they they December twenty eighth is when they became twenty one and ten. Since that date, Luca and KP have only played eleven games together, and wow. in those games, they're six and five. So similar to their overall record in the games right. that you know one or neither of them have played in. Uh, and with Dallas, you know, it, it's it's interesting, you know, to have this conversation because as of late. Kristaps Porzingis is looking like that unicorn, right? I know he, it. He looks like at he's- least in some games, but then like you see again, right? Like, and that's this has been the problem. And how can you know if you're going to be able to have both of them healthy? But what do you have that weekend game? He had 38, and he just won Player of the Week, I think, in the Western Conference, didn't he? In his past 11 games, KP's averaging 27 points, 11 rebounds, two assists, playing the same great defense that he had he had, had been doing yeah. early in the season. He's been awesome. Since, well, and then you know, he's not, but then he's not playing last night. Well, and that's that's because he's <laughs> that's because he's resting on on back to backs. Um, I know, but you know that's part of the conversation and part of what I wrote about earlier in the season about can can Dallas realistically view Porzingis as their second guy next to Luca? Like talent wise, yes, talent wise, there's no question. Uh, KP is that guy that you want next to Luca, but in terms of his durability. And the reliability over the course of a full season, can he be this KP in May? And you want him to be this KP in June? I damn well hope so, because what they have going here is really special, and it can be even more special than it already is with these two young stars. Let um, me tell you who's been but, really but he impressive. needs to stay healthy, and, and, and that's, that is the fear. Yeah, this, uh, this has been a very good Tim Hardaway Jr. season. You know, the kid just got beat to hell because, of you know, he's at the Knicks and he gets the massive contract and his contract actually doesn't look nearly as bad now, right, with the amount of money guys get paid. But he's been good for them. I mean, he was leading them in scoring last night and just watching him throughout the year, you know, I had talked about at the beginning of the year, my reservation on them was like, who is their third guy? And on a pretty regular basis, You've been able to count on Hardaway Jr. playing pretty well, and and obviously, and Kleber's a good player too. Um, but Hardaway Jr.'s had a good season this year. And, you know, I, it's sometimes our perception of guys, you know, change because of the contract that they get. And, um, and so they're not, you know, they're not that, they're, they're not good enough that they, they're undeserving of what they got. But, this guy, I mean, he's he, he's you're you're regularly being able to pencil him in for you know somewhere between fifteen and twenty five, and some nights he can go real big. I, I've been impressed with him. Sure, and, and on the other side of that matchup last night, Otto Porter playing his first game since November. Yep. He was a yep. plus eleven, and granted, plus minus is a screwy stat, but it, it's indicative of the player he has been for many years in Washington. Now it's just a a nice two-way player. Good shooter, three or five from three last night. Good defensive player in his 17 minutes last night, as he has been in the past. A positive addition for the Chicago Bulls midseason, who can really help slot guys more into their proper roles, as they intended uh, at the beginning of the season with him before he got hurt. How about this one? 
I did not even realize this. I was just saying from watching them. He Hardaway Jr., 44% from the field, 40% from three on seven attempts a game. His numbers are really up this year. I mean, 15 and a half points a game in 28 minutes. You know, and he get your rebounds, he'll get you some assists. He's killing it's pretty it. Pretty fascinating. He's yeah. Killing I mean, 40% from three is hell, you take that any day of the week for yeah, one I mean, of your he's, uh, he's, for one of your wing guys. Again, another situation guy right you know he in, in past seasons he's That's had right. he's had to do more with the ball in his hands but now you're seeing him as a guy who's playing off of others he's shooting spot, spot up threes at a very high rate he's attacking closeouts making you know one or two dribble jumpers from three or deep mid-range uh, uh sh- self-creation shot attempts and he's making the smart simple play and this is something that maybe in the past he was asked to do more than that and that showed some of his weaknesses, but he's found himself in a proper role next to one of the best playmakers in the league in Luka and one of the better bigs in Kristaps Porzingis. Yeah, so the question is, do we find them dangerous? And it is simply a matter of Luka and Kristaps Porzingis. They are probably better than a 500 team. They are probably not as good as how they started off the season, so there's probably somewhere in between that. Um, But... Are they a team that we look at and we say they could knock off somebody? They ain't knocking off the Clippers. But could they knock off Denver? be a good series, I think. I don't think it'd be a bloodbath. I would say basically just, you know, I wrote about Dallas before the season and everybody in that organization I talked to was just hoping for the playoffs. You know, yeah. and the fact we're even talking about the about them now and have talked about them over the course of the season as a team that could maybe make a little bit of a run, they are ahead of schedule. Um, so by making the playoffs, that that alone is a, a, is a success for them. Luka Doncic taking the leap that he has is a success uh, for this team. Like they don't have to go anywhere; they can still lose in the first round. This season is is a good step forward for them. Um, but to answer your question, I would say yes, I think they can compete in one of those matchups. I don't think they beat the Clippers. I think they could at least give trouble to to LA, you know, or Denver um, in that 2-3 matchup. But, you know, they're also only three games back from the four seed right now, you know? Uh, they're not far back from making moving up the standings either. Uh, another thing that took place last night, uh, the Grizzlies, who are holding off for dear life to the eight seed, um, Beat the Atlanta Hawks. It's a game I watched, and maybe the most despicable performance I have seen by a team this whole NBA season. I'm not kidding. I mean, when I say, when I talk about rat teams, this is what I talk about. And I know Trey Young has been fantastic this year, but this team had no fire, no fight. If you get a chance, pull up Lloyd Pierce's press conference last night. I mean, he was beside himself. He's like, I don't even have any. I don't. I don't have anything to say. I don't have anything to say. Like, if you can't get effort out of guys, like, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, they got beat by 40 points last night. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And when we talk about environment, right, for guys to come into, it's just, it's deadly for young players to be in that type of environment that leads to a point where you're getting beat by 40 points by a Grizzlies team that doesn't have Jaron Jackson or Brandon Clark or Justice Winslow or, like, three, they don't have three of their top six guys. And that's just that's just a team laying down completely. And so I, I feel bad for Hawks fans because what you want these last 20 games of a season is to really give you hope going forward. Especially now you got John Collins in the mix and you know you you got eyes on having Capella in the mix next year, but this doesn't go very far in in, in breeding any kind of hope. Hey, at least Cam Reddish has been much better the past you know, month <laughs> or so. Yeah, he just has. It's true. I'm, <laughs> he's been pretty, pretty good. <laughs> so you know, there's some. I know. Pl- hey, listen, I, I watched him that one night. He came up with a couple huge plays down the stretch. Their their win against Miami, um, or the win against Brooklyn right at, too. I mean, right out of but right out of the All Star break, he had that huge yeah. steal. Um, Cam's been and he good, looked dude. Like something. Cam's yeah. Cam's been good on defense all year long. Uh, it's just the offense was just horrific early on, and then it then it went from horrific to bad <laughs> to to yeah. to average. You know, I mean, Cam has the past month or so been shooting around thirty six percent from three, thirty seven percent from three, and you know, made smarter plays, better driving to the rim. He seems to have found his shot, and now it's about sustaining that. Uh, so so good for him. The Zion thing has taken off since we last spoke, Kevin. Um, now I I, I expressed earlier how. 
you know, he, he's going to play a finite amount of games as at, compared at most to, 37 at most. Yeah. At, at most. Whereas J- John Morant is averaging almost 18 points per game and he's shooting 49% from the field. There's only two rookie guards with better points per game and field goal percentages in a season. And those are Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson. And wow. so like, it's, it's not like John Morant isn't having a historic season uh, himself, but the Zion thing is, he, I, I, I'm a, I, I will go out of my way to say that it is only because of matter of games. He really is unlike anything I have ever seen, Kev. And he is, whatever I thought he was going to look like in the NBA was still going to be one of those things where it's like, hey, he's a rookie, so it'll it'll take, you know, it's going to take a little while, but he's eventually going to be a superstar, superstar. Like, he already is. Like, he, seriously. He's one of the, like he's the, he's one of the 20, 25 best players in the league already. I don't, I don't think that's an exaggeration oh, to say. Charks, Charks asked me if we lined up all the players. He did this exercise a couple of weeks ago. He said if we lined up all of the players and just said, then we start picking, right? How far down do you get before you take him? And I'm like, I, I don't know if I would get to like 10 or 15. Seriously. No, I'm with you. Like, if we're just I'm saying, I'm taking them off the, like, we're lining all the players up on the wall. You, now, me and you are picking teams. I don't know if I get, how, how far I get down the list before I take him. He is an absolute freak of nature. And I was thinking about this the other night when we were watching uh, the LeBron Zion game, right? So, you know how, like, uh, you know, our parents or uh, people when we were growing up, they, they, they always scoff when people would say, like, we've never seen anything like this. They'd be like, well, you never saw Will Chamberlain a person. You never saw Bill Russell or, you know, whether it was boxing like Muhammad Ali or it was, you know, Tommy Hearns or, or whoever, right? Like, it's always people always defend their own eras. And we never imagine that at the time that anything's going to look different than it is but i was thinking of this uh, uh last uh, when i was watching that game like you know how we go back and we look like like dr j or, or whoever right like are we is there really going to come a time in 30 years where we like look back at videos of guys like lebron james and zion williamson and we've got something like bigger stronger and more athletic than that it seems implausible to me that that could be so is there any chance that that is possible that in 30 years people are going to be like yeah well you know look look at those old videos of those guys like they're not like they are now if they would you know if so and so would have played in that era but how can you be any bigger, stronger, and faster than those two? <laughs> I mean, I, I think I think Zion's one of those players that could be a success in any era of basketball. And in today's era, it's especially fascinating with all the the space that we talked about with Russell Westbrook and the and the pace the teams play at. It's really a, a perfect world for him. But he could be a success anytime. And you know, for for the Jason story, Jason Tatum story, I wrote on the. On the ringer, I, I noticed this quote from LeBron. Uh, he said after that game on ESPN, you know, he said, "quote The league is in great hands with guys like Zion, John Morant, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, Jason Tatum, and the list goes on. I'm just happy to be part of it and be on the floor with those guys in their younger days." End quote. And that's that's sort of you know, it, it's simple, it's basic, but it's true. Like there are a lot of great young players in today's game that you can look at and think, oh, wow, aren't we lucky that we're going to be watching this, yep. guys, over the next 10, you hope, 15 years. Uh, it's a lot of talent. Please tell me you saw at the end of that game, the Lakers and the Pelicans game, I don't know if you were able to catch it, but the end of the game, maybe the funniest thing of the entire NBA season happened. So you know how all these players are doing jersey swaps now, oh, right? You, like, I John know what you're going to say. <laughs> John Morant and Trey Young traded jerseys. The other night uh, when LeBron James was in Memphis, he and John Morant swapped jerseys, but they did it in the tunnel. They didn't do it like out in the open. Um, but this is the big thing, right? The jersey swap. Bro, JaVale McGee asking Zion for his jersey and Zion <laughs> handing it to him while not asking him for JaVal McGee's jersey might be the funniest thing. That that video was going around yesterday. I was howling. I mean, that is... 
I know he's not trying to don't isn't it like just common courtesy right like it was almost like it would be like a fan asking for the guy's jersey like I think isn't it like common courtesy that you would even if you don't want it you just say like oh yeah give me yours I wonder how many players got denied. Like, hey, we want to exchange jerseys, and they're like, uh, 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 no, or they pretend you didn't hear them. <laughs> like, I'd, I'd love, I'd love to read a story about times. And maybe I should try to try to do that, but I'd love to read a story about times people tried to ask for a jersey and was told no. <laughs> do you think Javale McGee thought anything of it that he was walking back to his locker room with an opponent's jersey? but still his own jersey on because the <laughs> opponent didn't want it. Like I would, I'd be so humiliated. I would just take off my jersey and I would throw it to somebody in the crowd. Like I can't walk back yeah. with your jersey while my jersey is still on. Like that's the nature of the swap. I mean, that could be a pretty, pretty valuable jersey in, in 40 years, you know, or, or 20 years. The, Z- the Zion jersey. Oh, not the Javal one. <laughs> no, Zion no. knew. He's like, what am I going to do with that? What am I going to do with a Javal McGee jersey? I'm not hanging it up. So what do I, I can't sell it for anything on eBay. Like, seriously, what am I, what I, I don't, I don't want your jersey. I don't know. Could, I don't know what go, I would uh, use it for. On the show, Pawn Stars, you know, like. Or he would, well, maybe he would so- wash his car. <laughs> You know, I mean, like he uses a rag to like wash his oh, car. That's, don't do that. It's a, it's a it's a white jersey. It'll get dirty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you mentioned Tatum, and that has been unbelievable. Now you've been in Boston for a long time, and for a good portion of this explosion, um, I listened to Bill Simmons and uh, and Zach Lowe talking about it, and I found it fascinating. They were bringing up some other guys that maybe in the middle of the year have taken that leap um, from, you know, the guy that might get you 20, 24 points and certainly have a good season to a guy that, like, I'm the best guy on the court in this game and I could drop 40 on your head. And I'm, you know, the Lakers were freaking running doubles at him. Or, no, not the Lakers. Uh, yeah, was it the Laker game? Lakers, what Utah. Game was that? A handful of teams have done it recently. Yeah, it was the Laker game. Yeah, that's right. The, the one where they were like, they're face guarding him with Kuzma and whatever else a couple of Sundays ago. Um, this leap that he has taken, Kevin, has been unbelievable. And one of the things that Bill opined was maybe it was making the All-Star game and that that's like a goal that's out there. And then you like feel like you've made it and you're a part of it. And like now, I don't know. What do you, what do you make of a guy just exploding like, Tatum has midseason, a guy that I know you've written about a couple of different times. I mean, I think it's a testament to the work, um, you know, in, in writing the story. Obviously, you know, we, we've seen Tatum explode past month or so. In February, he averaged 31 points on a 64 true shooting percentage. Just extraordinary. And Boston was riding him uh, at the end of games, especially with Kemba being out. Um, they really empowered him to be the guy. And he's always shown signs of that. Um, but last year, he was the league's most inefficient isolation scorer of guys that were, you know, high volume ISO players. And the, to go from what he was last season to what he is this season, which is one of the most efficient and most lethal ISO and pick and roll scores is a remarkable leap. And that, again, that's a testament to the work that he's always put in, but particularly this past year, he worked the entire summer and this is in the story, extending his range. So those step backs and sidesteps aren't from deep mid-range. They went to three-point range. Uh, and he all, during the season and before and during the summer, he worked on getting to the rim more often, taking fewer floaters and runners, and instead trying to get to the rim. However, the weird thing is, is I remember... So before the season, when I was writing about Tatum, uh, I mentioned the importance for him to get to the rim because that's that is the 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 ingredient that all great scorers need. We're seeing it right now with Bradley Beal taking a leap uh, or averaging over 30. We see it all the time with James Harden. We see it with LeBron. We see it with Paul George, the best season that he had last year. Getting to the basket and finishing or drawing fouls is how you can consistently become like a 22 to 23 point per game score to like a 27, 28, 29 plus per game score. And Tatum, early in the season, he stunk. He stunk finishing around the rim. Shot only 51% on shots over his first 18 games. But since then, that's up to 64%. And that's because of a mechanical change that he made during the year or finally figured out 
during the year with the timing that he picked up the ball on his drives. It's yeah, something I he, wonder, he you tried know, Kev, to do. I wonder, I haven't read it yet, but I wonder if there was like a conversation he had or like, you know what I mean? Like, is there a moment where, because clearly he's got the goods to make that happen as he did, but was there a moment or something that took place that, that, that triggered this change, you know? Tatum's uh, trainer, Drew Hanlon, who he's worked with since he was 13 years old, uh, told me on the phone in this quote, we noticed that when guys like James Harden or Bradley Bill drive, they pick up the ball early, then swing it through to draw contact. Jason was trying to draw contact, then pick up the ball, which is why he lost the ball a lot, end quote. And with Tatum, it's true. Tatum, he would he would lose lose control of the ball all the time on his drives, you know, sometimes on his own accord, not getting stripped. He would just lose control. And they made that shift mid-season through work in the gym, through film sessions, through Tatum tri- trial and error on the court. And each month, he got better. And, you know, like I said, over the past, you know, over first 18 games, he was not good. And since then, he's been terrific finishing around the rim and that's just exploded overall and you know I I think the one of the stats from the article that really details his importance is the NBA advanced stats data looking at his drives to the rim Uh, last season of players with a minimum of 300 drives to the rim he ranked 112th and there's 126 players 112th in turnover rate, 106th in fouls drawn, 63rd in points rate, which would mean, you know, times he scored or he created a shot for somebody else. In this season, the big difference is of 92 players, he ranks 11th in turnover rate, 12th in fouls drawn, 3rd in points rate. That is a massive leap massive. forward. And that's because of the his, his ability to now shoot from three, which makes him a greater perimeter threat, opening up more lanes to counterattack and get to the basket. His improvements as a ball handler, using more hesitations, and his improvements we just discussed, finishing around the rim, using his length, using you know better footwork, using better timing when it comes to picking up the ball. All of these things have come together for a guy who just turned 22 years old today to become a guy that looks like over the past month and a half or so, one of the best 10 to 15 guys. And now moving forward, it's about sustaining it and doing it against, you know, traps, doing it against doubles and doing it against in the playoffs when you have, you know, Kawhi, you know, guys like Kawhi, all these top end defenders, Chris Middleton against you. You might have Giannis on you in the East when you have these guys, Ben Simmons defending you. When they're locked in. So that's the next step for, for Tatum to sustain this and show that this is for real superstardom. Kevin, one goofy theory that has surfaced that you now will have a totally different perspective on than you would have when we last spoke. And that is that Jason Tatum's numbers have also gone up significantly since his beard connected. Oh, yeah, that was funny. The numbers that. are all out there, and I ask you for your opinion on this because maybe there is something to the psychology of it, and maybe he just feels so much better about himself when he looks in the mirror because I am told that there is a totally new and different Kevin O'Connor. You have suspiciously not posted any pictures and not posted any pictures of your face. You brought up being a fan of bearded uh, guys on Instagram and that you 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 looked at them and you thought, my God, I would love <laughs> to have a beard like that. This would be amazing. Bobby Wagner, our producer, tells me he's seen it in person. He has been effusive in his praise of said beard. Is it true that Kevin O'Connor has a full-on beard now? Uh, and do you believe that Jason Tatum's statistical <laughs> breakthrough has anything to do with uh, his connecting? It, it absolutely does. And, th- and that didn't make it into the article, how to cut that, because that's the secret. But it, it 100% does. And, and my beard is, is coming in. Bobby, Bobby, how did you describe the beard before the show? I said it reminds me of a, a college offensive lineman, but it's not quite at hockey player during the playoffs level. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and, I, and I would say that is... Very accurate. I'm sure at some point, you know, we'll we'll post a. a is photo. it thick, Bobby? Like, is it big and like? like yeah, you know it's what pretty. I mean? Like, it's pretty bushy. You know, it's like coming out from his face a little bit. It's like, legit. So Santa Claus level no, or no? No, no? no, 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 no. It's not that long. That's playoff. That's playoff hockey. 
Yeah, that's playoff hockey, right? When you've got the, well, the playoff huge... hockey, it's like almost like coming up to their eyes. You know, that's it's like right. all the way up well, on their cheeks and stuff. That's nuts. Well, I mean, that's w- right. weeks ago or however long ago it was when we first mentioned the beard, I, the guy I was talking about on Instagram was Greg Brzezinski. He's the the <laughs> the. the, the <laughs> The the, the the older gentleman who uh, has just this most spectacular beard no, hey, and hair. Do you know about this, Bobby? I looked it up. I looked it up afterwards. No, yeah, yeah. no did you did, did you know? Look, we talked about it on the, this show. The guy reached out to Kevin. Yeah, oh, I didn't yeah, know about yeah. this. So Gre- yes. Greg uh, messaged me. He's like, are you talking about me? <laughs> well, when, I, when I said like the picture of him without the beard looks like a normal dude. The picture with the beard looks like, like this you know, godly man. <laughs> and it's also true for the guy who, who runs that company, Beard Burn, Eric Bandholtz, uh, oh who, God. by the way, remember you see that me- meme or whatever you want to call it going around um, after the coronavirus recommending like don't wear your mask. If you have a beard, the, the the one on the top right is the Bandholtz beard, and, and that's named after uh, the guy who runs Beard Prince. So. <laughs> I didn't even know beards had a name. I mean, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know either. To be honest with you, wow. I know, I, I had no except idea. for like the, the the like the Fu Manchu, right? But, like or something that like like Pi May and Kill Bill had or something. Sure, like that. you, you that know. It? And I actually, you know, for the story. <laughs> I, I, like I, the, I talked to a handful of people for the Tatum story. I should have, as a joke, asked his mom about it. <laughs> like we <laughs> so we had like a very like deep, serious, you know, thirty minute conversation for the story. And like, by the way, she is awesome. And and, and Jason calls her a super mom. And like Jason says, you know, his mom is his best friend. And um, as wow. somebody like who feels the same way about his mom, especially, you know. Oh, I always have, but especially this past year with like, you know, my mom doing everything she has with my dad and making the sacrifices that she had, like quitting her, you know, job to take care of him and having freaking heart surgery and, you know, still doing what she could to take care of my dad. Like my mom's a superhero. So like I can relate to Jason feeling that way about his mom, especially doing the things that she's done over the years. Um to care for but Jason. You didn't ask and, her about the beard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I asked about I asked about like the serious stuff over the years, um, <laughs> and that's all in the story. If you want to read it on the Ringer, but um, I I didn't ask about the most serious of them all, and that was the beard. And that's an oversight on, on me. <laughs> do you I, do you do you feel an extreme boost in confidence now that you sport the beard? I I honestly think it's a good look for me. And I think when it comes in Let's go. When, Let's go. When it comes in the way I want it to come in for me. Uh, oh god. I, I think Kevin O'Bumble is back. No. <laughs> he is back. You hipster girls better jump on there now cuz he's going to be gone soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I, I, love I mean, it. I don't know. I don't know. Well uh We'll see. We'll see. Uh, I, I I am happy with how it looks, though, and and I think it's going to look even better as it comes in more. Uh, and and thank you to <laughs> to, Gre- to Greg Brzezinski and Eric Bandles for the inspiration. <laughs> oh my God! I got to see the picture. I yeah. got to see yeah. it. All right. Well, I can't wait till you unveil it for the world to see. Sure, Kevin, yeah. I can't love having you back more, man. Mm-hmm. I'm glad uh, made it through everything. And here we are back doing the Ringer NBA show, and we'll do it again on uh, Friday. Yeah, th- thank you, Chris. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you, um, Charks, again. Thank you, everybody, for listening and you know reaching out. It, again, it, it means the world to, to me, to my mom, and uh, it meant the world to my dad. Thank you. Thanks to Bobby Wagner for producing another episode. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars, five stars. It really helps. And we will talk to you on Friday. <laughs> <laughs>